0: Well, good morning, God bless you. Today, I'm going to continue in the series that I have been in for a little while. It's called the Identity and Inheritance Series. And I'm going to be ministering this morning through a message I'm calling Free from Disease." ease Now, I want you to take particular note that I put a hyphen between the prefix dis and the root word ease. Do you see that? That was intentional. What I want us to see through the message today is this, our goal is really not to get everybody to think exactly like us. I mean, that's not my goal in life. I want to get you to think like Jesus thinks. I want to get you to think like the new covenant expresses itself. Our goal in life really should be rooted in the loving kindness to help others become free from dis. Ease. Our English word disease originated in the old French language around the 15th century. What does the word disease mean? Let's look first of all at the second part, the root word of disease. It is the word ease. The first definition for the word ease is the state of being comfortable. The second definition for the word ease is freedom from pain or discomfort. The third definition for the word ease is freedom from care. Another definition for the word ease is freedom from labor or difficulty. Yet another definition for the word ease is freedom from embarrassment or constraint. Constraint means limitations. Ease means you are free from limitations. Another definition for the word ease is free from obligation. When I think of obligation, I think of pressure. And we should not be under this pressure to perform for any reason, whether it's before the Father or before one another. We just flow, okay? And the last definition I have for the word ease is effortless. Now, I want you to take a good look at all those definitions. I didn't make them up. They come right out of the dictionary. Think about it for a second. Imagine a life of just always being comfortable, climate control, never too hot, never too cold, no pain whatsoever in your body, no discomfort whatsoever, you don't have a care in the world. There's nothing going on that would trouble you. You're not toiling. You're not laboring. You're not going through difficult things. Imagine never getting red-faced in life, never getting embarrassed. I've been embarrassed so many times in my life. My face has turned bright red so many times in my life. How about you? But imagine a life never <laughs> getting embarrassed. One thing I'll tell you, one thing I've never been embarrassed about is to stand in front of somebody and tell them that Jesus loves them and tell them about the power of Jesus. I don't care what you think, my face won't turn red. If it turns red, it's turning red just out of passion. Imagine a life where you're not constrained, you're not limited by laws and rules and regulations and stipulations. Imagine a life that you find relief from, again, the obligation, the pressures of life. Imagine a life that is just effortless. That's a pretty good life, isn't it? But you forgot. See, I put a dis in front of east. This is not quite reality, is it? But it can be, in a sense, from our spirit when we allow our spirit man to communicate. Let him work out everything into our soul and into our bodies. The scriptures say, the joy of the Lord is my strength. But when you're feeling weak, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now let's deal with that prefix dis. The first definition for the prefix dis it means the opposite of. The next definition is deprived of. The next definition is excluded from dis. The next definition is. The absence of, and the final definition for that prefix, dis, is not finished. Oh, but we are a finished work people. We are. Therefore, when the prefix dis is placed in front of any root word, it means the opposite of the root word. Disassembled means not assembled. Disorganized? What does it mean? (laughs) It means not organized, doesn't it? Dissatisfied? What does that mean? It means you're not satisfied. Do you see how this changes? It's the opposite of. It's excluded from. Disease refers to the absence of comfort. Disease means deprived of the state of freedom. Disease refers to being excluded from a life of ease and rest. Many believers live with deep emotional conflict, deep emotional pain, deep emotional discomfort. They're always laboring. They're always burdened down by the cares of this world, constrained by their own beliefs, ideologies, and doctrines. They have never entered into the rest that Jesus promised to give us if we would just come to him. Many believers live their entire lives having never discovered their true identity and the depth of the promise of their eternal inheritance. See, we don't think about our inheritance too much because we're not there But eternal life begins now. It doesn't begin then. So we possess the eternal inheritance now. We have to start living like we already possess it. This is bigger than name it and claim it and take it home and frame it. This is coming into agreement with the promises of God that this is who I am. This is my identity. I am a son. I am a daughter. And this is my inheritance. And the scriptures are full, chock full of promises about his inheritance. And it's ours now. Would you like to know what gets in the way of people not understanding their identity, not flowing in their inheritance? Would you like to know what gets in the way? It's real simple. DIS gets in the way. Many have believed the age-old lie that they have become dis qualified. Well, I've come by today to tell you, you are more than qualified. (laughs) It's too late to believe something else. God has already qualified you. You've already been qualified. We've already been qualified. We believe things that are simply not true. I was talking with a friend at work here a couple of months ago, and in the course of conversation, we were talking about frozen meat. And I said to my friend, I said, well, uh, I mentioned the word that I have to go home and unthaw some frozen meat. And he started chuckling (laughs) at me, and he said, you don't unthaw frozen meat. He said, do you know what that means? I said, well, yeah, it means to soften it up, take it out of the freezer. He says, no. He said, that's thawing frozen meat. I think I got red-faced that day feel like I got a little embarrassed because here I am, a man in my 60s, and I'm saying you unthaw frozen meat before you cook it. No, you thaw it. To unthaw something means to freeze it. But then I began to think, how in the world can I be in my 60s and never have known that? Well, I'll tell you how that happened because I came up in the home with a daddy with a second grade education. And undoubtedly, my daddy is who I learned it from because I can almost hear him say, son, go, go and thaw that meat, go and thaw that chicken, right? And so we pick up things and we believe things that are simply not the truth. It's crazy, isn't it? When my friend said that to me, I had to challenge myself to think differently about how I say that. Now, I can just say, well, that's the way I've always said it. That's the way it's always going to be. Well, that's an attitude, right? That's a diss, if you will. In other words, what you're doing is you're disregarding what your friend has to say, even though he's speaking truth. When I came into the understanding, the awareness of grace, the Holy Spirit, he began to challenge me to listen to what I was saying. Not condemn me, challenge me. Listen to what you're saying, son. And then I want you to think differently, okay? Now, I understand that altering our default thinking because we all have default thinking, our minds just automatically default to certain answers, certain responses. I understand that default thinking and the muscle memory on your tongue, your tongue has muscle memory, There's no way I could think fast enough to be chaining all these words together, but my tongue has muscle memory and my brain just communicates to it and it just knows exactly where to go. But there's no way for us to alter our default thinking or our tongue's muscle memory without intentionally allowing the Holy Spirit to change the way we first believe. And when he changes what we believe, it will come out of your mouth. Out of the mouth comes the abundance of the heart. So I don't look at life in terms of breaking bad habits or old habits. I look at life in terms of putting new habits in place. Because if we set out just our mission is to break old habits, bad habits, it isn't going to work, folks. Something has to replace it. And that's what grace has done in my heart. It replaced what was there. It's a slow drip. It's a gradual thing. You don't even realize it. In the same manner, as new creations in Christ, we need to move away from the law that forbids sinning, okay? I know that doesn't sound right when you first hear it, but if you put your emphasis on, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, you're going to sin all the more. You've got to move away from the law that forbids sinning, and you turn to grace. There's your new habit, turning to grace the one that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright lives in this world as we wait for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't put the emphasis on getting rid of old ways of thinking. Rather, we flood our minds with graces and truths. Friends, we have been qualified, and to those who have been qualified, they can never become disqualified or unqualified. We find these words in John chapter one, and verses nine through twelve. It says this: The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own but his own did not receive him. Now, I've got a question for you. Why did Jesus come into the world? Think about that. Why did Jesus come into the world? You know, since COVID hit a few years ago, we've gotten pretty good at working from home. Why didn't Jesus just work from his heavenly home? Because the scriptures tell us without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In heaven, there are no crosses or evil men to crucify the Lord. In heaven, there is no shedding of blood. In heaven, there is no death. Jesus came to give us a new identity, folks. He didn't come just to clean us up. He didn't come to buff us. He didn't come to just polish us up. He came to create a new version of us, to put his spirit inside of us. Jesus came to give us a new identity and a promised eternal inheritance, an identity and inheritance that is free from embarrassment and constraint, an identity and inheritance that is free from cares and toiling and frustrations and obligations. Jesus came to give us an effortless salvation. I love that. So many people are fighting with their salvation. They almost see it as an enemy at times. But Jesus came to give us an effortless salvation. Jesus, the true light, came to dispel our darkness. He came to take away our sins. Jesus came to right every single wrong. Jesus came because humanity was constrained, restricted by the cold stone tablets of the law. You see, Moses, when he returned from the top of Mount Sinai and came down the mountain holding the twin tablets in his hands, He came upon the Israelites. They had fashioned a golden calf, and they were dancing. They were partying in the streets, if you will. And Moses got so ticked off, he threw the stone cold tablets down and shattered them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. This was merely a type and shadow that man was always going to be a breaker of the law. He was never going to be able to keep the law. Jesus, the true shepherd, Jesus, the true vine, Jesus, the true light, came into the world to set humanity free from what? He came to set humanity free from disease. We don't have to forge our own golden calves. We idolize but one, and his name is Jesus. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not receive him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Then it says, yet to all, listen to these words, folks, so simple, so plain. Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed that's all, (laughs) that's all, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's one of my favorite scriptures right there. Because the word right there means he gave the power to become sons of God. It means he gave the ability. It's the word exousia in the Greek. He gave the ability. He gave the privilege to become sons of God. He gave the qualification to become sons of God, even unto them which believe on his name. You are qualified. Why? Because Jesus gave us the right to be qualified. He gave us the right to become sons of God. That's what we're qualified at. We're qualified to be sons of God. Some people do it better than others. I get it. But we are qualified to be sons and daughters of God. You see, a president can be impeached. A police officer can have his badge, his gun stripped from him. A CEO can be fired. But a son of God can never lose their privilege or qualification. Why? Because our sonship, our rights, our privileges are not based upon our performance. They're based upon Jesus. They're based upon his performance. They're based upon his finished work on the cross. The only diss that has taken place is that our sins have been dismissed. They have been dislocated once and for all. They have been separated from us. The scriptures say, as far as the east is from the west, and the prophet Micah declared that God has cast our sins into the depths of the sea. I love that. What a beautiful picture. Micah would write that. He said, God has cast your sins. And these were people that were in sin up to their eyeballs, but God's a covenant-keeping God. And he said, God has cast your sins into the depths of the sea. There are those that have believed the doctrine, the myth, the philosophy, that their salvation disappeared when they went on a sinning binge. (laughs) But don't you believe it, friends? It's a lie. It's a lie. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we find these words. I love this scripture too. One of my favorites. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace appeared. Grace did not disappear. Let's rid ourselves of the dis. When a believer is assailed by the dumpster of sinful words and thoughts and actions, grace appears not disappears. That's what we need the most in a given situation like that. In fact, in those times, grace appears all the more. Why does grace appear to us when we're in the dumpster? The dumpster of life? To remind us, first of all, that we are righteous. To remind us that we have the ability and the privilege and the power and the qualifications to be sons of God. Grace appears to remind us that even in the dumpster, we are a sweet smelling savor in the nostrils of our Father. Isn't that awesome? Dumpsters aren't pretty, but God says, You're a sweet smelling savor to me. You're a perfume. You're like the rose of Sharon. You're like the lily of the valley. That's how I see you. What an incredible God. We think too small. He's a big God. He's an awesome God. In Romans chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, we find these words. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. I have to stop here for a moment. In Genesis, they were in sin up to their eyeballs. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? That's Genesis. Tower of Babel? That's Genesis. All that fighting, killing, loot and everything? That's Genesis. This is before the law. And so you've got all this evil running rampant up on the earth. And now we move into the new covenant. And the greatest apostle of all time, other than Jesus, is the apostle Paul. And he's writing here. He says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Well, I don't want the trespass to increase. I don't want sin to increase. Increase in what capacity? Increase in the unbeliever's awareness for God's grace. That's the purpose of the law, is to show you you are a failure. It offers no mercy. It offers no salvation. The law has one purpose, and that's to show you that you're a failure. That is for the unbeliever. But as you come into a relationship with Christ, the law no longer has a voice in your heart. So that's what he's talking about here. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Because if you don't realize you're doing wrong, well, then you're just going to keep doing it. The law has some restraining power. If there were no laws in the land, just natural laws, I don't think anybody here would be alive. Somebody would have got us going through a stoplight. But we have laws, right? But then it says, but where sin increased. Now, come on, folks. Let's slow down here a second. But where sin increased look at these words. Grace increased all the more. I know you've read this before. You've heard it preached before. Don't forget this though. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace didn't run the opposite direction saying there's too much sin. Grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, So also grace might reign through righteousness, look at these words, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We've got something to behold. We've got a treasure on the inside of us. Beautiful. This is the gospel. And when the believer enters into a correct understanding of the gospel of grace, sin will actually decrease. Sin will not have a hold on you. But the key is to enter into the gospel of grace, enter into that understanding, a correct understanding. How? How can it do that? Because grace is ever increasing. That's what it said there. It's always increasing. For many years, I (laughs) have attempted to articulate. I have always tried to find the silver bullet, if you will, the magic answer, if you will, I have been trying to put a sensible, non-religious finger on the reason I care so much about the importance of a correct understanding of the gospel of grace. Why do I care about that? Not only for me, but for others as well. If an eternity with God is based upon a sole decision that is putting our faith in Jesus Christ, and it is then why fuss with anything else? Why mess with anything else? Why try to pull anybody else out of the dumpster? Why do I care? Why do I care when a church doctrine mixes the old covenant with the new covenant of grace, the old covenant law with the new covenant of grace? Why does that bug me? Why do I pay no attention to myths and philosophies and endless genealogies? They don't have a grip on me. I don't think about them. I want truth. I want grace. I don't allow those things to hijack me because they promote controversies. That's all they do myths, philosophies, endless genealogies, and the mixing together come on, of the two covenants. You know what they do? They cause people to operate in speculation. And the problem is. Speculation is not of faith. And we live in a kingdom that operates by faith. Speculation is not of faith. You get over into myths. You get over into the traditions of men. You start speculating. You get over into philosophies. And it takes place also in the mixture of the two covenants. They only create distractions, there is no faith involved, they can never satisfy the heart believers need sustenance the nourishment we crave can only be found through the true gospel of jesus christ i'm talking about the gospel of the finished work of grace friends grace is the gospel that declares that believers are just as righteous and equally as holy on their worst days as they are on their best days i hope you have better days I hope you experience your best days. But I'm telling you what, you are just as righteous over here on your best day as you are over here on your worst day. Why? Because it's not based upon you. We're just as righteous. I'm talking about the gospel that is not weakened by the believer's performance. The gospel that reminds us that we are forever sons with heavenly privileges. The gospel that gets rid of all the disses. I'm talking about the gospel that came through one man, Jesus Christ. The gospel that when understood correctly, you know what it does? It fully satisfies and it sets every heart at ease. Do You say, Pastor Mark, if the gospel is not weakened by the believer's performance, then why does sinning matter? People inevitably ask me that question, then why not just go ahead and sin? Because the believer is weakened. The person, the man, is weakened. Not in their spirit, but in their soul, in their body, they've weakened also in their identity, the way they see themselves, the way that they can believe for God's promises. That's what it does to you, it tears you up in those areas. Doesn't do a thing to your spirit, man. Remember, you're just as righteous, just as holy on your worst day as you are on your best day. People begin to question, who am I? Sometimes you feel like you don't fit in. You feel like a little ugly duckling. In the midst of sin, the believer discovers that they are not made from sin. They're not made for sin and they're not made to sin. We are made the righteousness of God in him. That's our nature. That's our identity. How many of you are familiar with the fictional comic book character Superman? You ever heard of him? He's been around a long time, hasn't he? He's been around longer than I have, in fact. As you recall, Superman was weakened when he was exposed to the substance kryptonite. The same thing happens when we build our Christian experience upon myths, philosophies, endless genealogies, and the mixing together of the two covenants. You see, with God's super attached to our man, we discover that we were not made for kryptonite myths, philosophies, the traditions of men, golden calves dancing in the darkness, and the mixing together of the old and new covenants. These nonsensical ideologies will only introduce us to fictional heroes, and these substitute heroes actually weaken our ability to walk in faith, hope, and love. Friends, Jesus is our only hero. The reason it bothers me when the teachings of the Old Covenant are taught to apply as New Covenant disciplines to maintain one's salvation is because there are other eyes watching, there are other ears listening, and there are other voices willing to repeat nonsensical things like unthawing meat. Millions of people have not come into the faith simply because believers have not modeled their new creation lives in a way that has appealed to the lost. That's not the only reason, but it is one of the reasons. As a result, they continue to worship their golden calves as they dance and party throughout the darkness of night. They never encounter the true light that has come into the world to give light to everyone. They never come to know a life that is free from disease. Believers need to understand their true identity. This is where power exists, friends. This is where passion exists. This is where love is poured out. This is where you operate effortlessly when you understand your true identity in Christ. You see, the blind will always lead the blind into the ditches of disgrace. What does that prefix dis mean again? It means deprived of. It means excluded from. It means the absence of. A man that is taught to follow the law of Moses in order to be righteous will fall into the ditch of disgrace. That's what it means to fall from grace. Falling from grace, again, is not losing your salvation. It means you have fallen away from the new covenant teaching. You and I, as finished work ministers, can exercise the ability, the power, and the privilege to lead the blind. Now, when I say the blind, I'm talking about both believer and unbeliever. And when I say blind, I'm talking about in their ability to recognize graces and truths. We can lead them into an identity and an inheritance that is absolutely free from disgrace, free from disqualification, and free from dis-ease. Did you know that over the years, there have been many people who have plunged to their deaths because they thought they were Superman? You see, uh, hallucinatory drugs had altered their minds with a false identity. They literally felt like they had a cape on their back. They felt like they could flap their wings. In the same manner, the mixture of law and grace is a hallucinatory doctrine and a psychedelic drug. Now, when those words fell into my heart the other day, I thought, wow, is it really that deep? Is it really that strong? It's a psychedelic drug, folks, because it puts you in the driver's seat. You're the one performing. You're the one maintaining your salvation. It will make you think and believe things that are simply not true. The mixing together of the two covenants alters the believer's perception of who they truly are in Christ Jesus. And in that state of mind, they can never be totally free from dis-ease, the absence of rest, the absence of effortlessness. Every person's physical heart belongs to them, and it belongs to them alone. If you needed a piece of my heart for your heart, I would say, I'm sorry, I don't have any spare pieces. I need every part of my heart for me. A heart can only be shared in death. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, to share his heart in death. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Bury, he carried my sins far away. Rise and he justified freely forever. Do you see that? Do you see why he came for us? Friend, in death, Jesus would become the greatest heart donor in all of history. What a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. No other person can care for your heart, yet heart surgeons are caretakers of diseased hearts. Their occupation is to fix broken, diseased, and arrhythmic hearts. Therefore, as ministers of the gospel, as shepherds of the flock, as believers even, shouldn't we equally care about the condition of someone's emotional or even the lost person's spiritual heart? Yes. Jesus cared. His disciples cared. The Apostle Paul, he cared. In fact, they cared so much that they all lost their lives, gave up their beating hearts because they cared and because they loved. Shouldn't we care? Would you agree with me that when it comes to consumption, what we eat, drink, or inhale can affect our? physical heart. I mean, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? We know that. What we eat eats us. If I eat battery acid, battery acid will eat me. If I swallow parasites, parasites will swallow me. In the same manner, that which we consume through what we call eye gates, through our ear gates, affect our physical and emotional hearts as well. For that reason, the Apostle Paul left his protege and beloved son in the faith Timothy in Ephesus for the purpose of heart disease awareness, heart disease prevention, and heart disease cure. That's why Paul left him there. The Apostle Paul charged Timothy to oppose the false teachers of Ephesus. Not expose, but oppose. See, our job is not to expose wrong doctrine. Our job is to oppose. What exactly was the false doctrine? What was the false teacher's message in Ephesus? What were they teaching? Myths, deceptive philosophies, endless genealogies, the traditions of men, and the mixture of the two covenants. That was their message. And the Apostle Paul said, oh, no! This ain't going to do, Timothy. You can't go anywhere with that stuff. You latch on to heroes that are not really heroes at all. The false teachers were great at misrepresenting even the law. Why did the Apostle Paul charge Timothy to oppose these teachers? Because he cared. Because he loved and because he knew these false teachers' rhetoric would put a veil over the Ephesians' identities and promote dis-ease. In other words, promote emotional discomfort. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm telling you, it's very rare for me to walk in the emotional discomfort. I found out who I was in Christ. I found that I have the ability in my sonship, the privilege, the qualification, the power, And you have exactly what I have. We're the same. So we need to awaken to that reality that I am righteous, I am holy, I'm pure, I'm perfect, I'm finished. The Apostle Paul left Timothy in Ephesus because he didn't want his new converts to experience heart disease. You say, wait a minute now, Mark, wait a minute now. I thought that as new creations in Christ, we were given new hearts. Yes, we have new hearts. Our spiritual hearts cannot become sick or infected, but our soulish hearts can become broken, troubled, sickly, and infected with ideologies that inhibit believers from what? From walking in faith, walking in hope, walking in love. Our soulish hearts become free from disease, simply as we trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation and perfection. It's more than just a, I signed up today. No, it's bigger than that, folks. Salvation is not, I've enrolled in something, I've signed up for something. But with that came all the perfection that God can give me, in my spirit, that is. In my soul, in my mind, my will, my emotions, my body, all of that has to be worked out. That's why they say when you go to the gym, you work out, right? You work out your salvation from your spirit into your soul. You do. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15, we find these words. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Come on. By grace through faith. So the Apostle Paul is saying, in the exact same way that you received him, he says, continue to live your lives in him. By grace through faith. Understanding that it wasn't a one and done in terms of, I don't get any more grace. No, you have grace every day. Why? Because grace is ever increasing. Continue to live your lives in him, I love this part, rooted and built up in him. How do we grow a root system? How do we establish a wonderful building on top of what God's already done in us? He told you right there, continue to live in him exactly the way you received Jesus Christ as Lord, by grace through faith. And then he says, strengthen in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. That's what it will do for you and to you. It will make you overflow with thankfulness, graciousness, kindness. And then he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Why? Because it robs you. It takes from you. In what area? Faith, hope, and love takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions, things like golden calves. That was a tradition, right? It depends on other heroes in the Bible other than Jesus. I love Abraham. Abraham is not my hero. Jesus is my hero. I love David. David's not my hero. Jesus is my hero. I love Paul. Paul's not my hero. Jesus alone is my hero. He says, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Our dependencies on Christ. Next scripture. Look at this now. For in Christ, where are you at? You're in Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, come on, you have been brought to fullness. I love that. Friends, your tank is not half empty. Your thermometer is not all the way down, it's all the way up. In Christ, you have all the fullness. We have all the fullness. Now look, I wish I could take credit for writing this. I didn't write it, but the Apostle Paul spent some time with Jesus. And Jesus said, when you write, Paul, I want you to tell him that, okay? That in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. If you just allow that to transition out of your spirit over into your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, your body, right there, that truth begins to just seep in and it begins to go, ah, I feel like I'm receiving some comfort. I don't feel so diseased anymore. And then it says, he is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision, not performed by human hands. You had no part of this, folks. By grace, through faith. Next scripture. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, (laughs) was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And then he says, when you were dead in your sins, come on, you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he says, God made you alive with Christ. When you were dead, when there was no hope, when you were beyond hope, When the defibrillator couldn't help you, when CPR couldn't help you, he said, Christ made you alive. He forgave us all our sins. I love this. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. I only know one thing that condemns, folks. It's the awareness. It's the law that points the finger and condemns you. And at one time, it did condemn us. It says, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it. He has taken it. We're going to find out what it is in just a moment here. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, you and I were nailed also. The scriptures tell us that we were crucified with Christ. How many crucifixions were there of Jesus? Just one? So if we were crucified with him, like the scriptures say, then we were nailed to the cross with Christ. Amazing. We were buried with Christ in baptism and then we were raised with Christ in resurrection life and power and privilege and ability and qualification. We were raised with him in resurrection life. Not only was Jesus and every believer nailed to the cross, but so was the legal indebtedness, the legal indebtedness known also to the Jews as the written code, some versions call it the written code, or the law. It's not just talking about your sins, yes your sins were nailed there too. If all God did was just nail your past sins to the cross, we'd be in a mess. Instead, he not only nailed our our sins and ourselves to the cross, but he nailed the written code. He nailed the law to the cross. I can just hear the nails, the three of them. It is finished! Nailed to the cross. In his death, Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities that had kept us trapped in dis-ease. On a spiritual level, we have been set free from heart disease. Don't ever let anybody tell you, you have a bad heart. No, I've got a new creation heart. I've got a resurrected heart. I've got a heart that was crucified with Christ. I've got the same heart as Christ. But our souls now, is the point I've been trying to make. Our souls, that's our mind, our will, our emotions can be influenced, they can be inundated, and they can be infected in very, very dark and negative ways. How many of you know that you can lay your hands on a person that has coronary artery disease, but their heart disease can't lay its hands on you? When the Holy Spirit said that to me, I said, that is awesome. Why not? Because coronary artery disease is a non-communicable disease. It's not contagious. Let me break it down, okay? This principle holds true with sin. We can touch sin, I don't advise you to do it, we can touch sin, but sin cannot touch us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something to rejoice about? Sin cannot really touch us. Not on a spiritual level, anyway. It can't touch us. Let's ask the question. We've heard some variation of this question a thousand times. Why not just sin? Because sin has its own consequences. Not from God. Sin has its own consequences. The Scriptures tell us that sin brings forth death. There's no life in the fleeting pleasures of sin. We can never be free from dis-ease while playing in the sandbox of sin. You can't play in the sandbox of sin and just go, oh, I just feel so comfortable today. Sun is just warming me like crazy. Nice little cool gentle breeze. I'm just so comfortable. My body is just cooperating. No, you can't play in the sandbox of sin and be free from dis-ease. Even though sin is non-communicable to our spirit man and cannot be counted against us because we know that, God said he will not count our sins against us, sin fleeces us of faith, hope, and love. Sin will cause us to become ungracious, unthankful, unloving, and unkind. How about not sinning because of love? Isn't that a better idea? How about not sinning because you love? Love is the restraining power, not the law. Love is what restrains us. God's grace, the same grace that we were saved by, that's what restrains us. The law provokes man to commit sin. But as believers, we are no longer under the law. We are free from the law. We are dead to the law, and Christ is the end of the law for all of those who believe. He's the end of the law for those who have put their trust in him. Therefore, neither the law nor sin have any communicable power or privilege or ability over our new hearts in Christ Jesus. When Jesus triumphed over the enemies, death, Hell, the grave, the power of sin and darkness. We were disfellowshipped from sin and its power. Isn't that an amazing thought? We were kicked out. We were disfellowshipped. We were asked to leave. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we find these words What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who who have died, come on, we have died to sin. I'm telling you, Romans chapters 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 will just set you so free. We have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Come on. Glorious resurrection. No detours. Nobody gets lost on the way from earth to heaven. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free. Come on, set free from sin. In other words, set free from the power, the influence, the ability, the hold that it has on you. It's not communicable anymore. We've been set free from sin. When Jesus triumphed over the cross, over the grave, we were set free. I want to draw your attention to that last part of the verse I just read. It says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, we know that the Apostle Paul is not talking about Jesus here. How do we know? Because Jesus had no sin. The anyone in this scripture is referring to you and me, us and we. That's us. It's talking about any man, any woman, any boy, any girl that has put their trust in Jesus Christ has been set free from sin. The heart disease that the false teachers of Ephesus possessed was extremely communicable. It was very contagious. And that's why the Apostle Paul gave the Ephesians a heart surgeon. His name was Timothy. Timothy's scalpel was the gospel of grace, and he closed every wound with the words of Christ, It is finished. I am the God that healeth thee. I am the Lord, your healer. I sent my word and healed all your dis-ease. I am the Lord, your healer. Timothy's doctrine wasn't built upon myths and philosophies and the traditions of men, endless genealogies, or the mixture of the Old and New Covenant. None of that existed with Timothy. His doctrine was established upon love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Timothy knew that even though the Gentile Ephesians were not under the commands of the Jewish laws, they were nonetheless living in a culture that was full of disses regarding their newfound freedoms in Christ Jesus. They needed a heart surgeon, a medic for the soul, if you will. They needed encouragement and instruction to better understand what it meant to live out their new identity in Christ. How do you do it? How do you communicate it, Timothy? By telling them, just the way you receive Christ, live your life in that manner, by grace through faith. Beautiful. They needed the instruction, and that's why Timothy was there. They needed a revelation that Jesus Christ was and is and will always be all that is needed in order to live free from dis ease. My final scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. Look at these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, By the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He said, as I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Now I've got a question that is surfacing in my heart. What is a false doctrine? The Apostle Paul is writing his last letters from prison and he's writing them to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. And of all the things he could do, he's saying, Timothy, this is what's on my heart command certain false teachers to stop preaching, stop teaching that false doctrine. So the question becomes, what is false doctrine? A doctrine that is void of Jesus is a false doctrine. A doctrine without a crucified Jesus is a false doctrine. A doctrine without a resurrected Jesus is a false doctrine. doctrine. A doctrine that teaches that salvation comes by any other means than by grace through faith is a false doctrine. A doctrine that teaches that a believer can become disqualified, disinherited, disowned, or disfellowshipped is a false doctrine. A doctrine that teaches that the believer has to maintain their salvation in order to make it to heaven is a false doctrine. And a doctrine that mixes the old covenant law with the new covenant of grace is nothing more and it is nothing less than a false doctrine. Why am I preaching about this? Because I want people to see their identity and all this stuff's getting in the way. When you feel disfellowship, when you feel disqualified, all that gets in the way of flowing in the ease that God has called us to flow in. When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he penned the words, there is nothing new under the sun. If Solomon was living today, he would have to write a retraction because we do have something very new under the sun, S-O-N. That is the finished work of the new covenant of grace. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And then he says, such things promote controversial speculations. Didn't I tell you that? They promote speculations. Speculations is not of faith. This kingdom operates by faith. If we're going to try to use some other currency like speculations, I guess so. Myths, genealogies, doctrines of men. That's not a faith. If we're going to latch on to any other hero other than Jesus, no other hero shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sin. It's Jesus alone. He's my hero. And so it's saying such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to advance God's work, build up God's work. It's our pleasure. It's our privilege. And then the Apostle Paul writes, he says, the goal of this command is love. And I love that part. So he's tempering what he's just got through saying by command certain teachers to quit preaching false doctrine. And then he says, listen, Timothy, the goal has got to be love. Because literally the word command means instruct. So when the Apostle Paul said, command them not to preach false doctrine, he's saying, instruct them. Show them the truth. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And then he says, some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. He says, they want to be teachers of the law. See how he skillfully worked his way into that? And then he just uncovered it right there. He said, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Friends, man has become sophisticated. He can make almost anything with his hands. The building of the Tower of Babel was man's feeble attempt to reach God on his own terms. Man can make golden calves, he can make his own idols, and he can create his own superheroes. But man cannot make his own salvation. The human body Cannot make vitamin C, cannot make vitamin D, cannot make iron, and cannot make iodine. The human body has to get those from outside sources. And these are all essential elements for life. But yet the body can't make them, has to come through food, has to come through the sunshine. In other words, what I'm saying is, these essential elements that we need as human beings, we have to have a helper for. And that's why Jesus said, when I go to heaven, I'm going to give you a helper. Because you cannot find life within yourself. You'll only find it through what I supply. You need an outer source. And so it is with righteousness. Man cannot make a righteousness that contains life or is free from disease. We need a helper, an outer source. And that outer source is the greatest hero and the greatest heart surgeon of all time. His name is Jesus Christ, He is the one who calms every storm. He is the one who speaks peace. be still. He is the one who says, "Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." He is the one who sets us free from disease. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the message today are these: The word "disease" is made from the prefix "dis" and the root word." Ease. Brought together it is dis-ease. It's the absence of effortlessness and the deprivation of rest. Disease speaks of the exclusion of comfort. Many believers have found themselves trapped in the cares of this world. They are constrained, restricted by their beliefs, doctrines, and ideologies of a mixture gospel. I'm talking about a gospel that is really no gospel at all. Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Many believers have never discovered their true identity, and this pains my heart the identity that comes from the true light. It is in Christ that we find life. And the life we find in Christ is the light of men. It is in Christ that we receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. No one is disqualified, disfellowship, disgraced, or disinherited. In Christ, there is only discovery. He pulls back the cover. He pulls back the veil. He pulls back your eyes so that you can see. In Christ, there is only discovery. He removes the scales from our eyes so that we might be able to see the ever-increasing, super-abounding graces of the new covenant. And as we gaze through the lenses of the new covenant of grace, we discover God's riches at Christ's expense. In Christ, we discover a cornucopia of faith, hope, and love. In Christ, come on, there are no myths. In Christ, there are no philosophies. In Christ, you will not find the traditions of men. In Christ, there are no endless genealogies. In Christ, there is no mixing together of the Old and New Covenant. In Christ, there are no fictional characters, no fictional heroes. All of these serve as distractions and cause believers to tune out the voice of the Holy Spirit as he is so relentlessly trying to communicate a message to us to change our minds about the way we see the finished work of the cross. The mixture of law and grace is a hallucinatory doctrine and a psychedelic drug, and it will alter the believer's perception of their true identity, and it will strip them. This is what it does. It strips them of their full assurance. It will make you think and believe things that are simply not true. Let's listen one more time to the words from the Apostle Paul. The words that he wrote to the Colossians. He said, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. We have been set free from dis Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were crucified by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God (laughs) made you alive with christ i love this he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that was the law the jewish code the written code which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to his cross and having disarmed the powers And the principalities and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Friends, in heaven, there are no crosses. There is no shedding of blood in heaven, and there is no death. In heaven, there is no unrest. Therefore, on earth as it is in heaven, let the sons of God proclaim that message so that every single soul can be set free from dis-ease. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you for your love for us. That our motivation must come from love. And that love reflects the purity of the heart that you gave us. It reflects sincere faith. It reflects a good conscience. And so, Father, I thank you that all of those wonderful things are swirling on the inside of me, ready to be released in a moment's notice, just ready to go. Father, you said that we are to always be prepared to give an answer to those that have asked us of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, I've come by today to remind us the hope and the faith and the love that we have comes through this new covenant of grace. And it's amplified. Our sin is small, our God is big. And so thank you, Father, that sin is non-communicable it cannot attach itself to our spirit man. Our spirit man is 100% pure and holy and righteous on our worst days as he is on our best days. Let that rise in our hearts, Father, as we proclaim this message to people that they can be free in their emotional realm. They can be free in their soulless realm. They can be free in their mind, in their will to operate exactly the way they came into the relationship with Christ by grace through faith. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. THE CORNERSTONE SCRIPTURE FOR TRIUMPHANT GRACE MINISTRIES IS FOUND IN HEBREWS CHAPTER 10 AND VERSE 14. FOR BY ONE SACRIFICE HE HAS MADE PERFECT FOREVER THOSE WHO ARE BEING MADE HOLY. GREAT GRACE, SUCH GRACE, TRIUMPHANT GRACE TO YOU. GOD BLESS YOU.